game highlights. Shot score! Jordan Everly set up by Taylor Hall! Expert analysis and your opinion. This is Overtime Open Line. Brought to you by the Terry Peranich Real Estate Team. Edmonton's number one real estate resource. Now... From the Cabela's Broadcast Center, Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio, Radio. 630 Shed. Gabriel Landeskog back in the Colorado lineup after serving a three-game suspension. He gets a goal and an assist, and the Avalanche knock off the Edmonton Oilers 3-2, snapping the Oilers' two-game winning streak. Edmonton finishing its five-game homestand with a record of 2-3. The Avalanche controlling this game for the most part, especially the first two periods. They led 2-0 after two. Matt Hendricks, an early goal in the third period. He has a point in three straight games. That ties a career long. However, Blake Como replied for the Avalanche and then Ryan Nugent Hopkins with some window dressing for the Oilers at 19.52 of the third period. 3-2 is your final. Along with Rob Brown, I'm Reed Wilkins. Terry Peranich, overtime open line from the Cabela's Broadcast Center. We want to hear from you as well. The phone number is 780-496-0063. You can also text us at 630-630. But first, into the media conference room, courtesy of GCL Diesel for all things diesel. Here's Oilers head coach Todd McClellan. Some of the guys in the room talked about a, a bit of a sluggish start for whatever reason, maybe not having their legs or whatever. What did you see early on that you were missing? Um, I thought the first five, seven, seven minutes of the game, I agree with them. After that, I thought we settled in and and played. Um, they were quicker to pucks. We were slow to close. They had the puck in our end a fair amount early in the game. But you know, for me, the difference was the power play. It's not even close. Uh, their power play zipped it around. We couldn't win faceoffs, so they stayed in our end for two minutes, zipped it around, and scored goals and lined up again. And ours turned it over and went to break out again, and then turned it over and went to break out again. And then guess what? We turned it over again and then went to break out. And um, a lot of talk about having a quarterback and stuff. That had nothing to do with the quarterback on the power play. That had to do with the forwards. And really high-end, talented, skilled forwards that you put out there that can win you a game in that situation, just turnover after turnover after turnover. Disappointing. What kind of appreciation do you have? Obviously, you prefer to win a game like that, right? Yep. Oh, that, I thought you were making a point, and I was agreeing. I guess I should ask the question. No, I... We obviously want to win on fan appreciation night. Um, we want to win every night. It doesn't have to be a special night for the fans, but for us, having these fans come out and support us in, in game after game after game when they're craving and, and uh, begging for, for wins and for playoff games and stuff like that, that's that's pretty unique group of fans here in Edmonton. Um, you know, We may not be a playoff team, but we have playoff fans. And at some point, we've got to find a way to reward them, and we're working towards that. Um, I can't stand up here and use the word patience. They've heard it a million times. So I'm not going to do that. But uh, we've got to continue to get better. And, um, you know, when you look at tonight's game, there was a pretty honest effort by, by quite a few players. Um, you take one of Colorado's players off the ice, you'd think the rest of the group could pick it up a little bit and get something done there. And they didn't. And that's where we failed. But um, I can't tell you how much we do appreciate the fans. Did you like Russell's game a little bit earlier? Oh yeah, yeah. You know he made some, he had some tough, uh, he had some tough looks tonight. He fought through traffic to to find rebounds and jams and and that type of stuff. Um, the goals, the first one, this guy made a great move taking it across the net. Second one goes off Fainer and in. Um, you know, and the third one's a redirection. So uh, I don't think we can sit here and talk about LB's. Uh, 
uh, lack of saves because he was uh, much sharper than he had been in, in games prior. You made some references in the last couple of days to the reboot or whatever you call it. Uh, yeah. In, in those references, you never uh, explain what, what the goals were or trying to keep that in. Those. Yeah, we're, we're internally we have it going. And, you know, it's, it started at the trade deadline. And you can, you know, what we have 18 games left, I think. So we set some internal goals. We, uh, you know, we did some obviously wins and losses, some numbers in, in certain situations. We talked about face-offs, talked about individual performances, um, and uh, you know it's interesting because we've had some really good performances for a lot of the years. But when you break it down to the 18-game segment, there's some guys that that need to pick it up a little bit, and then there's others that have done a really good job. So um, I think it's a, an opportunity to push, and. Uh, you know, at the end of the year, we're going to have our year, our 82-game stats, but we're also going to see what happens in those last 18. And, and I think when I was asked questions on that day or around that day, we started to, to reference character and, and the ability to push through adversity and hold our hand a little bit longer. I think those stats will reflect that at the end of the year. But you haven't thrown those numbers out. Do you have any intention of telling us what they are? Uh, I don't know where they are. You've seen in recent games the power play at its best and then the power play a little bit more frustrating. Is there a clear picture to be drawn between the difference on a good night and a bad night? Well, this group tonight, it, it got on somebody's tape and it had to get cleaned off and the puck had to get settled down and we had to get everything the way we liked it. We're setting the table, get the fork in the right spot and the spoon in the right spot. And then by the time it's, you're ready to eat, the, it's a disaster. The table's all messed up again and you have to go and set a new one. When we scored four or five against St. Louis the other day, the puck moved, the shot went to the net. We outbattled the team, we outworked them. This was a, a pretty group that was red rotten. All right, that's Oilers head coach Todd McClellan. The final damage tonight, Avalanche 3, Oilers 2. Some great comments about the power play. You heard what he said at the end. He started off by saying that the Avalanche were able to zip the puck around on their man advantages, and the Oilers uh, simply spent most of the time retrieving it. You know what, Rob? I, uh, look, I, I didn't play in the NHL like you did, but ever since I was a kid watching NHL games, I've always thought to myself, why does a team that's not doing well on the power play get a power play and slow everything down and make a careful pass and go at half speed? Because all you're doing, in my mind, is giving the penalty killers time to set up and say, okay, well, we're going to block that shot or take away that passing lane. And, and to me, that's a trap the Oilers have fallen into this season. Most power plays, most successful power plays, really don't start till the first shot's been thrown on net. Because that first shot's on net, all of a sudden, all the defenders have to turn, find the puck, the rebound comes out, and now they're running around. When you first set up, it's easy for the penalty killers because they're just following the puck. They're staying in their position. If a power play moves the puck slowly or decides to wait to wait for a guy to get to the right spot, penalty killers get to rest. They get to reset. As soon as the puck's on net, it becomes bedlam. And now that's when you get guys, A, get tired, B, start missing assignments, going to the wrong spot, pucks bouncing over guys' sticks. The Oilers, or well, excuse me, whatever team has the power play has the advantage because they have that one extra guy that when that puck bounces, they can have an extra guy go there. The Oilers, as, as Todd McCullen talked about it, too often they try to set things up 
they slow it down. And that is the worst thing you can do on a power play because as a penalty killer, you love that. Now you get a bit of a breather. You get a bit of a rest. Now you can watch, okay, they're slowing it down. And every team knows what the other team is tending to do. They know that, okay, here's what the Oilers, this is their tendency. Here's where they're going to go when they set up. So as soon as the Oilers slow it down and get into their controlled setup, now the Colorado Avalanche says, okay, this is where McDavid is going to go here 95% of the times. So now they can cheat that way. Whereas if you get the puck and quickly zip, 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 and throw the puck on net and have the players moving, now the defenders, now they get crisscrossed. They're moving all over the place. That's what Colorado did. I mean, if you watch Tyson Berry, he was all over the place when he was on the power play. Jerome McGinley started on one side and within 15 seconds was on the exact opposite side. Tons of movement, and now all of a sudden, if you're a defender and you see guys crisscrossing, you're like, okay, wait, is that my guy going that way or am I going this way? And that slight hesitation is when all of a sudden someone pops wide open, and that's where you get your good scoring chance. And Como's goal in the third period, he was skating into that position. He wasn't standing there with a stick on the ice. He, he, I think he started on the right wing hash marks, circled up top almost to the blue line, and then skated right through the middle of the Oilers' power play or penalty kill box and, and knifed it in. I mean, he wasn't standing there for 15 seconds saying, okay, pass to me, pass to me, I'm going to deflect it. He moved in there. And that's where the defender, he looks, okay, there's no one there, now I can move a little bit more this way, and that's where the player comes in, and you, all of a sudden you miss the passing lane. If you're always standing in the same spot, the defender knows exactly where to have his stick or his body positioning to keep this, the passing lane closed. If the players are moving, all of a sudden that passing lane changes. And on that one, Colorado did a good job. They got the play they want set up. And, and that was when I watched that from upstairs. I mean, that's a thing of beauty. Uh, you, the, you cannot tip a puck any better than Como did there. Uh, it's something we've seen the Sedins do over the years. That is an unstoppable puck for Laurent Bressois on that one. This texture says, why is Mark Letestu on the power play? He's lost. He doesn't have a shot. He doesn't have size. He doesn't get dirty in front of the net. Please tell me. Well, a few reasons. Face-offs is one. Injuries is another. I mean, if Benoit Pouliot were help healthy or Anton Lander had done what we thought he would do, uh, if McDavid and Nugent Hopkins hadn't been hurt earlier in the season, Mark Letestu would not have been on the power play as much as he has. And I'm been. not, sh- and I'm, I'm not sure. And Lander's the the solution there either. Well, they thought he might yes, get to play there, but though. that's still not a spot that I think that you want him. And I, I disagree with the texture on one. I, I do believe he is greasy in front of the net. Well, I think he got Letestu one against is. St. Louis, and I think he is. But the the part I don't like about him on the power play is tonight he was set up at one point on his offside, and he took a shot from up high. Letestu's not going to score from up high. And so I think he's miscast when he's out on his off wing as the high guy taking the shot. I don't think that's where you want him. You want him in front of the net if he's out there. In a perfect world, that's a maroon or a Pouliot. But yes, you're right with Pouliot being out. And the fact that right now the Oilers' three centermen don't win enough faceoffs. That's why he's out there. Having said that, I mean, if it's a difference of 3%, I still would have McDavid and or dry side will take the face off instead and put a different big body in front of the net. Avalanche beat the Oilers 3-2. We'll go to Tom on the phone lines. Tom, thanks a lot for calling tonight. What's up? Yeah, yeah. I was. I, my question, I guess, it should have been, how many shots at the net did Yakovlev have? You know, Reed and I, I usually usually agree with with Reed, but uh, I, I thought it sounded to me that Yakovlev was was uh, having not a bad game. Uh, Yakpuff had three shots on goal, and he had six shots blocked, Tom. Okay. What, what do you thought? Did, did you not think that he was 
I mean, they, they, everybody seems to be blaming him that he's not playing well. Well, no one's. I, I, you know, the the loss is not on Neil Yakupov. That, that has. I mean, I don't. I don't think Neil had a strong game. I think uh, there was two power plays. He turned the puck over with blind passes. Uh, the the shots that he's that he takes are mostly perimeter shots from way out high that most times have no chance of going in. The very first shift of the game, puck gets dumped in his corner. Uh, he's in on the forecheck, and he tries a poke check and turns away from the, the, the player. Uh, this is 15 seconds into the game. where That's where you finish the check, get in on, pester the guy. He doesn't. Uh, Neil Yakpov, when he's got the puck around the net, is pretty good. It's what he does when he doesn't have the puck around the net that gets him into trouble. He's getting an opportunity. He's playing. He's been on every power play. Since that I th probably the entire season that he's been in the lineup, so he's getting power play time, and over the last few games he's been playing with Ryan Nugent Hopkins, who was the Oilers' number one center a year ago. So he's getting the opportunity to play with good hockey players. Just nothing's going right for Nail right now. All right, the Avalanche beat the Oilers 3-2 at Rexall Place. The Avalanche are coached by a guy who was a pretty good goalie in his day, Patrick Waugh. Here he is, courtesy of Challenge Insurance Group. Challenge creates opportunity. We provide solutions. It looked like a pretty good road game for you guys. Yes. You be happy with that one. Yes, we played really well. Um, I like our start. I thought we had a great start. Our power play was outstanding. I mean, barely scored two power play goal, uh, goal on, on, on them. I mean, the last one was with one second. I mean, um, when their guy came off of the ice, then... Uh, but. Um, Puck possession was outstanding. We all on the puck in the ozone. I mean, we had a lot of shots. I mean, no, I was um, I was very happy with the performance of the team. Earlier on, your goaltender had to make a couple of good saves in the first period. It looked like he kind of you he rewarded you guys for the confidence you're showing in the playing tonight. Yeah, I mean, yeah. we're trusting Pick. I mean, he's been playing really well for us. I mean, uh, and and he's competing out there, and you deserve a lot of credit for it. And. I thought we defended well, though, in front of him as well. You got like the performance of the captain coming yes. back, playing physically and setting up. Lines yeah, he, he played a strong game. I mean, yeah, that line was really good. I mean, they were playing really well before. I mean, the suspension, but I mean, they um, they, they had a strong night. I mean, they they're, they're tough to play against. I mean, they're big. I mean, they hold on the puck. I mean, it's it's hard to, to take a puck away from them. They, their puck protection was really good tonight, and even Grigorenko step up on that line with Butker and um, you know he, he did a really good, he did a really good job. I mean they they um, Como and, and Butker and and Grigor did a really nice job. I mean they they I thought they had some chances. I thought they played well, and Mitchell had a big block for us towards the end of the game. Then thought it was a solid performance from our team. Do you think a 3-2 scoreline really says how it was indicative of how you guys actually played? I don't really care about the score, quite honestly. I mean, it's how we played. I mean, we're leaving, leaving Edmonton feeling good about ourselves. That's what matters to us. Okay, thank you. All right, Scott Johnson working the Avalanche dressing room tonight. That's Patrick Waugh, coach of the team. Big win for them. They're trying to track down a playoff spot. They were... Uh, a point ahead of the Minnesota Wild coming into tonight that will not change as the Wild win a shootout 3-2 yeah, in a shootout 3-2 over the Chicago Blackhawks. It, just uh, an academic point here, I guess, a point of uh, clarity. The Oilers are officially uh, mathematically eliminated from the playoffs tonight. Obviously, we've known for a little while that uh, they weren't going, but it is now uh, mathematically impossible for them to get in. 780-496-0063. You can also text us at 630-630. 
Uh, Tyler says it seemed as though Cassian was getting demoted more often than Yak tonight. Cassian was quiet in the first, but I didn't see any bonehead giveaways. Yak was a dead end every time he got the puck, yet he was on the power play and playing with big guns most of the night. Uh, it was even more suspect than Latestu getting a lifetime admission on the first power play unit. That is from Tyler. Uh, yeah, either. I thought a couple times that Yak might be sat down. I, I Personally, and, and a lot of Yak supporters have been saying for, for a long time on this show that they want to see Yak in an extended time. They want to see him play with good players for a long time, and they feel that he can produce. And I think right now the Edmonton Oilers coaching staff is saying, all right, here you go, Yak, sink or swim. You're playing with uh, one of our top centermen in Nugent Hopkins. You're getting power play time. You're playing th every th uh, third shift, more or less. He played 17 and a half minutes tonight. Uh, he, this is his opportunity. The Oilers have to make a decision at the end of the season on Neil Yakubov, what they're going to do, whether they're going to uh, give him a new contract, whether they're going to try and move him in the offseason, and they want to see what he can do with playing with good hockey players. And that's why I'm guessing he did. he got the ice time he got got because I, I agree. I thought Cassian was strong. I thought he was a physical force out there. The things that they need him to do on a consistent basis, he was certainly doing that tonight. In his line, uh, they created the one goal that, that got the Oilers back in the game. So uh, in, a, in a perfect world, yeah, Cassian may have deserved more ice time than he got tonight. Got a tweet here from Harold who says, why is McDavid on the power play with players he doesn't play with in the game? Isn't it better to play with your regular line mates? Uh, yes and no. Uh, obviously, the way the Oilers play four forwards on either power play, uh, they're going to have to split up some of the lines simply because uh, there's four forwards and not three. Um, most times you have one line as a power play and then you'll throw someone else with them. Uh, the Oilers, I think because their power play has struggled for the most part other than one game, they've tried a bunch of different uh, groupings. And the fact that the Oilers have changed their lines up a lot. I think they're just trying to find something that will work. I've, before Nugent Hopkins came back, I, I believe that they should have split up McDavid and Drysaddle and had them on separate power plays. Now that Nugent Hopkins is back, Nuge is doing what either one of those would have done on the second unit. Uh, with the fact that it's a, there has been a lack of success, it would not surprise me if something changes over the next few games. The problem for, for McDavid right now and a dry settle and a Nugent Hopkins, they don't have that right-handed one-timer anywhere in their lineup. And those are three left-handed, fantastic passing hockey players that don't have a guy that's going to uh, one-time the puck when they get it to them. 3-2, the Avs beat the Oilers. We have Alex on the line. Alex, thanks for calling. What's on your mind? Hey, uh, what do you guys think about, like, so you guys were talking about the future of Yak in Edmonton. Uh, just kind of out of curiosity, does he kind of, like, remind you of uh, Alex Salmon and the Capitals where, like, you know, you got a, a good Russian scorer who is just a little bit, you know, like, lapsed on defense and is almost kind of a little bit lazy um, and is, like, blaming or, like, lazy in the back checking and such? Um, and, uh, like, just really, like, what's, like, uh, you know, you have Dreisaitl, Nuge, you have McDavid. Like, is it worth it to try to move one of these guys to, well, obviously not McDavid, but try to move one of the other two guys for uh, someone like maybe even, I don't know, like Shattenkirk or somebody who can run a power play for the Edmonton? Well, the, the first question, I, I don't think Yakupov's anything like Semin. I think Semin was an incredibly talented hockey player who just didn't care. I believe Yakupov cares. Uh, I just think that uh, there's deficiencies in his game. I don't think he reads the play well. And I think he finds himself in the wrong spot on the ice a lot. 
and I think his mm-hmm. talent is better than his thought process. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I think he cares, and I think his uh, he works hard out there. I just think Semin was the opposite. He is incredibly talented that just didn't care and only showed up when he wanted to. So I wouldn't compare Yakupov to have a, Yakupov to him, I think that would be unfair to Yakupov. As for moving a player, the Oilers need something on the back end. We saw tonight with, with Colorado, with Tyson Berry, how effective he is and how he makes the forwards better, how he makes the power play better. The Oilers don't have a player like him. They need a player like him. To get a player like him, they're going to have to move an asset, someone that is very good, because nobody's going to give up something good unless they get something good in return. So I don't know who the Oilers are going to move, but it would have to be one of their better players if they expect to get anyone uh, like a Tyson Berry coming back. All right, Alex, we're going to finish the play with you. You have already won 50 bucks to Panda Hut Express. If you are correct... Guess what, Rob? We're going to put his name in the grand prize draw for $1,000 to Integra Tire Auto Center. Well, good for him. In Edmonton, Sherwood Park, Fort Saskatchewan, and Stony Plain. Here we go. For Jordan Eberle. He'll chip it ahead, and Connor McDavid with speed. Centering pass. Nurse wide open. Shoot! All right, Alex, if you watch the game, that should be an easy one. Goal or no goal? Uh, no goal. Let's find for out for Jordan sure. Eberle. He'll chip it ahead, and Connor McDavid with speed. Centering pass. Nurse wide open. Shoots, and he hit his own man. I think he hit Pat Maroon with that puck going into the open net. All right, Alex, you are the winner on finish the play tonight. Great chance for Darnell Nurse in the first period. Could not finish. That, unbelievable play by Connor McDavid. Unbelievable play. That was uh, that should have been a goal. And unfortunately for Darnell Nurse, he got it tangled up a little bit and eventually hit his own player instead of hitting the wide open net. All right, the Avalanche beat the Edmonton Oilers 3-2. More post-game reaction coming up. You will hear from Patrick Maroon. And we'll go back into the Avalanche dressing room as well and hear from their captain, Gabriel Landeskog. He had two points tonight. Terry Peranich, overtime open line from the Cabela's Broadcast Center. Live from the Cabela's Broadcast Center, this is the Terry Peranich team overtime open line. On Oilers Radio, 6.30, Chad. Right side, Johnson looking for Bodker. It's off his stick, and then Brassois turned it over. Bodker, wrist shot, and a save made off a feed, and then a whistle. Grigorenko fed Bodker in the slot, and Brassois did hold it long enough. LB in goal for the Oilers, makes 22 saves, takes the loss. That's your save of the game for Armor Insurance, working today to protect your Tomorrow, I mean, really, I you know, three goals against, obviously, in this league often doesn't get you the win, but I didn't have a problem with Brassois' game tonight. He had no chance in any of the goals. Uh, breakdown, bad bounce, and an incredible play. There were the three goals against him. He had no chance in any of the three, and unfortunately for him, the Oilers weren't able to generate enough going the other way. We'll go back into the Oilers' dressing room and hear from winger Patrick Maroon, courtesy of GCL Diesel, for all things Diesel. Well, uh, Patrick, what do you make of that? I mean, after doing some good things in previous games, did it feel like maybe a bit of a step back tonight for your group? Oh, I thought our just special teams won them, won the hockey game over there. I thought our power play wasn't our power play was awful tonight. I thought, and uh, I thought special teams really won the battle tonight. How can special teams, I guess, sort of turn turn a game in your favor? Or- against you? I mean, they had two power play goals, which was crucial. And then that one in the third, I kind of put the nail in the coffin there. Um, so, I mean, I think our power play needs to be better. And it's, you know, you know it gets better here and there, but it's got to be consistent. 
You talked after the game against Vancouver about how you guys were able to do a lot on the forecheck cycle-wise. It seemed like defensively they were able to, to limit some of that tonight. Yeah, I thought we did a good job. I thought, but the only problem was that we didn't throw more pucks in the net. We didn't create any more traffic. Uh, the guys were were there, but there's no pucks being thrown there. So uh, I think we need more, more of that and more uh, net drive and just more just throwing pucks to the net and going to the net and hopefully get get the dirty one. I thought our fourth line was really good in that, and that's what happens. Cassian throws the puck to the net, and look at what happens. We get a greasy goal. Thanks, Patrick. Thank you. Read that's Patrick Murray. Thanks, Brendan, and he brings up our adjustment of the game for Alberta's chiropractors. Life is the roughest game of all. Feel better, move better, live better with help from your chiropractor. Visit albertachiro.com. When the Oilers did have a little bit going in the third period, a little more pucks to the net, that led to the goal, and quite frankly, I thought Maybe an interference penalty by Griffin Reinhardt to help uh, set that one up on the pinch because the Colorado player never touched the puck. But uh, nonetheless, uh, the Cassian Latestu Hendricks line was able to grind out that first goal. And, and doing it the way they do best, you know, just getting pucks in the corner, being in on the forecheck, being physical. And then when you get a chance to put the puck on net, do it. And not only do you put the puck on net on that one, Cassian shoots it, not a great angle, but he knew he had bodies in front of the net, both Latestu and Hendricks hanging out in front of the net, and a nice little play by Latestu. Uh, he knew exactly where Hendricks was standing, was able to get a little backhand no-looker over to Hendricks, who was able to finish that. At that point, you're thinking, okay, you know what? The Oilers do have a chance. Colorado has struggled at keeping leads. The Oilers got some momentum going. And unfortunately, on a penalty that... Uh, I had to watch the replay three times to see that happen. McDavid's stick came up on, I believe it was Johnson, and the power play goal put an end to the Oilers' hopes of coming back in this game. 3-2, the Avalanche win it. We're going to make Connor McDavid the fourth star of the game, courtesy of Missioner Allen Auctioneering. Try the auction advantage. We have the selection. You set the price. Check out maauctions.com. He does wind up with an assist on that late goal by the Nuge. He plays 20-54 and was the Oilers' best offensive threat for most of the night. But the Avalanche take it 3-2 is your final more ahead. Terry Pranich overtime open line from the Cabela's Broadcast Center. You're listening to the Terry Pranich team overtime open line. Now, live from the Cabela's Broadcast Center, Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. Thanks for joining us tonight. It's 11.05 along with Rob Brown. I'm Reed Wilkins. The Colorado Avalanche get a 3-2 victory over the Oilers tonight. The Avalanche sweep the three-game season series with Edmonton. This officially, mathematically eliminates the Oilers from playoff contention. 780-496-0063. We have Mitch standing by. Mitch, thanks a lot for calling. What's up? I uh, just want to make some general comments on the game. Uh, I think uh, Yakupov should be in the uh, press box. And at what point do we see uh, Edmonton win with Nugent Hopkins, Hall, and Eberle? Like, we've been waiting a long time. Well, you're right, and there's frustration amongst the fans. There's a frustration amongst the team, and I'm sure management's very frustrated the way this season went as well. Um, we talked at the beginning of the season that we felt that the the team that started the year, all the main guys would be here by year's end. And we said that if at year's end the Oilers were anywhere near where they have been in the last few years, then major changes could come in the off season. And the Oilers are exactly where uh, we had hoped that they wouldn't be. They're in the bottom five in the National Hockey League again. So there will be changes. The Oilers uh, are deficient on the back end. And if they are going to go find someone to be a top two defenseman, a top power play guy, then one of the, the guys you just mentioned may be moved out 
to bring in someone of that caliber coming back. So uh, this uh, this was not in anyone's wildest dreams that the Oilers could be in this spot again. Uh, I know injuries haven't helped, uh, but there still is enough talent on this team that should win more games than they have this year. 28th in the NHL are the Edmonton Oilers. They score two tonight. That means a $100 donation to the Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation, courtesy of Booster Juice, an oasis of freshness in a fast-paced world. 50 bucks for every Oilers goal all season long. The total for the year, $8,550. Gabriel Landeskog, two points for the Avs tonight, a goal and an assist. Here he is, courtesy of Challenge Insurance Group. Challenge creates opportunity. We provide solutions. you got to be pretty happy with that. It looked like a pretty good road for previous. Yeah, I thought we, we had a solid game from I thought we had a good start of the first period where we, we pushed quite a bit. Um, obviously, they got a got a power play at the end of the first that they pushed back at but I think other than that I think we pretty pretty played a pretty solid game from start to finish and, and obviously our power play was key tonight. How'd you feel after three days off? Felt good uh, yeah I mean it's, uh, it's tough watching I mean yeah and especially with all the bag skates and all the tough tough work as they have to do I mean obviously I felt like I was I was hungry and ready to go but uh um, the guys have done a great job throughout the road trip here, making sure that we're in a good spot. And, and uh, I was just hungry to come out and help out. Speaking of play, your young goaltender, you made some big saves when you had to. Yeah, yeah, he played solid. I mean, he's been solid forwards all year. Um, he, uh, you know, there's a couple of big, um, tough saves he had to make in the second there when we scored to make a one nothing, and, and they had a couple of tips and redirects in front of the net. But he's did come back there, and he's he's playing extremely well. So um, big win all around. Maybe just talk about the lead up to your goal. You had the big hit, puck was around, and then you end up uh, tucking it into the goal. Yeah, I think uh, I think it started with a lost draw, and, and, uh, and we were good on the four check there, and, and both. Um, Maddie and, and Carl made, made two good plays and two good passes that led to to me getting uh, um, basically a breakaway from the corner. But uh, yeah, I felt good to put that one in, no doubt. Did you guys know that the Minnesota had won earlier? Like, or did you guys even, or did you care? Or? No, I mean, we, our focus was was making sure that we came out and got the two points tonight. Um, we did know that it was tied tied with the couple minutes left to the third period. But other than that, we just found out that many won the shootout and. Uh, it'll be tight. I mean, it'll be tight all the way to the end, and that's the way it should be. You guys doing what you need to do to get where you need to go? Yeah, I think so. I mean, we've uh, we've got a solid road trip now. I mean, uh, obviously that Winnipeg game we would have liked to close out and would have win the would like to win that with a two goal lead going into the third. But I think the last last three games we've we've done a good job of of making sure that we're we're a solid road team and and we've played uh, good decisions for the puck and and doing all the little things to to score the big goals. Appreciate it. Thanks. Thank you. Reed? Scott, Scott Johnson in the visitors' dressing room tonight. Landeskog, a couple of points back from a suspension. Colorado beating Edmonton 3-2 on fan appreciation night at Rexall Place. Robin, I'm going to make the fans tonight's home ice heroes for ATB Financial. Know someone whose quiet hard work makes hockey happen in your community. Nominate them for ATB's home ice hero award at atb.com slash home ice. Along with Rob Brown, uh, I'm Reed Wilkins. You can text us at 630-630. This person's name is, I think it's Brad. Is this uh, Shirelli's way of showcasing Yakupov for an off-season trade? In that case, is it going to backfire if you want a better return? Well, I, I think they're seeing what they have. I mean, they have to make it. He's a restricted free agent at the end of the season, is he not? Yakupov? Is no, no, he's got another year. Oh, left. he's got another year. Oh, well, then, <laughs> then I don't know. I mean, they're trying to see what they're going to do with Yakupov. Are they going to keep him going forward? Are they going to move him in the off-season? 
and uh, they're playing him with good hockey players right now. He's playing with Nugent Hopkins. He's playing on the power play. Um, I guess they could be hoping that he catches fire, and all of a sudden maybe that drives up his trade price. Um, but I think they're more or less just test driving him to see what he can do playing with good players, and is he part of the future or is he not? Seven eight zero four nine six zero zero six three. You can also text us at six thirty six thirty. No Oilers goal light tonight. That's courtesy Japanese Village. Three locations: downtown, south side, and north side. The Oilers have to score five or more in a game for us to turn that on on the Oilers page on six thirty ched dot com. Then you can print up a free appetizer coupon to Japanese Village. All right. Another texture says, uh, why is it that our defensemen always fake a point shot and never just shoot? I know the lane is not always open, but when it is, they still fake it and then a float a weak one in. It's a wasted shot. That's from Todd. Well, sometimes it may look like the lane is open up high, but the lane might be closed down low. Uh, sometimes they fake a shot because there's no one in front of the net. So they fake a shot, hoping that the Oilers will start feeding towards net. Then they'll put the puck on net. And sometimes it's just a mistake. You're right. Sometimes they uh, double clutch when they should have shot the puck in the first place. Uh, the key for a defenseman when he's looking to get a shot on net is, one, getting it past the first uh, guy out trying to, to block it. The second is to make sure there is traffic. And the third is to hit, to the, hit the net. Uh, the Oilers don't do enough of that. Uh, it's tough when you're four standing in front of the net taking a beating and pucks aren't coming through. You feel like you've wasted time standing there. The Oilers need to do a better job of getting pucks on net, and that's something that I know that Jim Johnson, the defensive coach for the Oilers, is stressing with this team. They have, they have too many blocked, especially from Sacre. He gets too many blocked. They need to battle in front of the net. If the puck's there battling with a tip, a rebound, whatever, that's where the battle should be in the offensive zone. The Oilers don't have enough battles there in the blue paint. This texter says, I think the Oilers need some leadership in the dressing room. They have a great group of young forwards but need a, leaderable, a leader to hold them accountable on a consistent basis. The likes of some ex-Oilers such as Ryan Smith and Mark Messier. Uh, well, Mark Messier, I mean, one of considered one of, if not the greatest leaders in all of professional sports. So, I mean, that was a once-in-a-lifetime type player. So I don't know I don't know if they're going to get a leader of that well, caliber. The, the new leader is going to be Connor McDavid. Yep. That's the leader of this team. Uh, Matt Hendricks talked about it the other night, the, the leadership qualities in, in, in this young man already. He will be the leader and uh, most likely the captain of the Edmonton Oilers uh, soon. Next year, maybe. The year after, for sure. But he is the leader of this team. And I also think, and you know, we've talked about this ad nauseum, but the the coaching changes haven't helped build accountability. I mean, Rob, I, yeah, I think there is accountability to the players, obviously, but you're also accountable to the coach. And if that voice has changed as often as it has within, especially Hall and Everly's careers, then I think your standards are changing every year. The personality of the person you're being accountable is changing every year. And I don't think that has helped mold these players either. Yeah, no. I, I think that the it, it depends who the co I mean, all players should be held accountable. And I, I think that some players weren't held as accountable by certain coaches. I think Todd McClellan is much more stringent. He, 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 you've seen players. I mean, we saw Taylor Hall get benched in the preseason. That's something we've never seen before. So he is much more hard on the players than we've seen in the past. And some players were allowed to get away with just about anything. And 
they were rewarded when they didn't deserve it. And those things, I think, creep into a player's a psyche where they just, well, I mean, I got away with it before. Why won't I do that again? So I think that there was there was an accountability issue amongst coaches before Todd McClellan came here, and some players had it a little too easy, and maybe that's crept into their game. Uh, going forward, you're seeing more so this year with accountability from the coaching staff, and it has to be this way if you want to be successful. Uh, this texter says, uh, sign your first name if you can, please. I'm more likely to read it. But I'll read this one from this person who's a, a serial Taylor Hall hater. He says, mark my words, Taylor Hall has played his last game as an Oiler, last season as an Oiler. The minute he's gone, the Oilers will get instantly better. Well, I think that's a little uh, short-sighted, blaming an entire team's failures on uh, on one player but I mean I, I understand I understand why that happens the Oilers had missed the playoffs what was it at when they drafted Hall three three or four years I can't remember what the streak I think four been years at. this is Hall's six year isn't it right yeah so they've so, missed it so, four years so they went four here. years they finished last they draft him and I think the hope was and maybe the attitude from some people was all right, well, we got a number one draft pick. It's helped other teams. Here we go. We're on the way. So, I mean, I think, Rob, it's it's like the saying in football. When you're the quarterback, you probably get too much of the blame when you lose and too much of the credit when you win. I think that's probably what's happened to Hall, and given that he's been on a really bad team his entire career, I think he does get too much of the blame when the team fails. And I'm not absolving him of no. whatever, but... I mean, to say that they, they've missed the playoffs all six years of his career specifically because of him, I think is is very, very well, short-sighted. Well, I think uh, there's been nights where he's been by far the best player on the, the ice and the team has lost. Um, t- t- there's great things about Taylor and there's other things that Taylor needs to get better at. But uh, we're, if Taylor were to move somewhere else, I, I believe that team will have success with Taylor on the team. He, he is a very, very good hockey player. I, I, I don't know what, what Shirelli's going to do this summer. I know that of all the players that the Oilers could trade, and McDavid would not be one of those, so all the players that the Oilers could trade, Taylor Hall will bring the biggest windfall back because he would be regarded around the league as the best of the Oilers outside of McDavid. So he would bring the most coming back the other way. And I don't know if, if that's the move that Shirelli's going to do or if he can make something else work. But I, I don't think moving Taylor Hall is going to give them instant success. And I believe that if Taylor Hall is back here next year, if they bring in the right players, especially on the back end, the Oilers can have success with Taylor Hall still here in the lineup. All right, the Oilers lose 3-2 to the Avalanche. You will hear from Matt Hendricks when we get back. Terry Peranich, overtime open line from the Cabela's Broadcast Center. Live from the Cabela's Broadcast Center, this is the Terry Peranich team overtime open line. On Oilers Radio, 6.30, Chad. All right, the Oilers lose 3-2 to the Colorado Avalanche. Matt Hendricks had a goal tonight. He has a three-game point streak to match the longest streak of his career. Here is Matt. You know, we had some opportunities. We had some rebounds. We had some chances that we didn't capitalize on. But for the most part, uh, it was a special teams battle tonight. You know, our our uh, penalty kill wasn't as good as theirs. And play, same thing with the uh, power play. So it's a frustrating loss for us. Yeah, it was a it was a very nice play. Um, you know, Latestu was in good position. I'm not sure who uh, 
I can't exactly picture who our defenseman was there. You know, to me, they look like they're in good position. It's just a great pass between their sticks, and Como redirected perfectly in the net. So those are tough for for goaltenders, and uh, that's one we wish we we maybe could have had back too. Like to get a win for LB too. I mean, you know, a lot of close losses. Of right, close losses, and he's. Uh, He's been battling every day for us in practice, um, staying late for you know, getting on early, staying on late, and you know he deserves a win from our group. We uh, we got to we got to play better in front of him. He he was great tonight, especially early on. I felt, you know, they they really had a lot of opportunity. Would you kind of assess what it's like to play in Colorado? They, look, they had some young speed and skill out of the lineup, but it's right? Like, you know, they're a detailed team. Um, you can tell they're well coached. The way they play is. Uh, you know, it's kind of a suffocating game, especially in the neutral zone. They make it look like there's time and space, and next thing you know, they're all over you, and you're turning pucks over at their blue line. So, they're a they're a good hockey team. They they, they play well, they play hard, and and uh, they've got some good leaders as well. So, it's a it's a good team. I wish we uh, could have beat them though. A little bit self-inflicted, Matt. Just in a bit of a slow start for you guys. Yeah, you know, I th I think our start our start needed to be better. We knew. We addressed the situation. We addressed, you know, the desperation that they're going to come out and start with. That they're going to be flying, try to get us on our heels early. And, you know, for the most part, I think they did that. They were successful. We we just weren't ready. We weren't. I don't know if it was mentally. Or we, we just. We. I, in my opinion, we didn't put pucks where we needed to put them, so we could get out and use our legs and skate. Thank you. Thanks, Reed. That's Matt Hendricks. Thank you, Brendan. Matt Hendricks and the Oilers lose three-two to the Colorado Avalanche. Rob. Next game, will the streak finally end at Arizona on Tuesday? The Oilers have four wins in their last 22 games against the Coyotes, none of them in regulation time, making Arizona's record against Edmonton in that stretch 18-0-4. I, honestly, I thought it was going to end the last time they played on home ice. You know, Ekman Larson not in the lineup. I don't think he's supposed to play again on Tuesday. I mean, he's their superstar. And I thought the Oilers would be able to take advantage of that. They just play a very simple, hard-working game, and they get opportunistic goal scoring. Uh, Mike Smith was very good last time when the Oilers played against him. The Oilers need to have more traffic, more battle in front of the net. They were too perimeter, I believe, against uh, Arizona. Uh, the Oilers got to—they got. I mean, if you look at the Oilers' road trip, that would be the one that would be the easiest of the games. So the Oilers would like to get off on a, a, a good start to the road trip with a win in Arizona. Other NHL action tonight. The Ducks beat the Jets 3-2 in overtime. New Jersey over Columbus 2-1. Justin Schultz had a goal for the Penguins in their 6-2 takedown of the Capitals. The Flames win 4-1 in Montreal. Minnesota in a shootout 3-2 over Chicago. And James Reimer, a 25-save shutout. San Jose beats Arizona 3-0. New Brunswick won the University Cup 3-1 over St. FX. Reimer, is that his second shutout now with San Jose? Didn't he have a shutout one of the games he, we did the other night? I thought he had another shutout. Uh, didn't he get the one here? Was it against us? Yes, I believe it there, was. I, I knew Reimer had a shutout. <laughs> I got a <laughs> great memory. You look <laughs> like you need to go to bed, Rob Brown. <laughs> uh, the Oil Kings will play Tuesday in Medicine Hat, one-game playoff, one-game tiebreaker game to make the playoffs. You know what? They're due. To win against Medicine they Hat. They 0-6 this year. They are due indeed. Rob, thanks for your time, buddy. Always great to work with you. Sounds good. We'll see you Tuesday. That is our Inside the Game analyst, Rob Brown. This has been Terry Peranich, real estate, uh, real estate team overtime open line from the Cabela's Broadcast Center. 3-2, the Avs beat the Oilers. That game against the Coyotes will be on Tuesday night, 6.30 face-off show, 8 o'clock for the start of the game. 
Oilers Now is from noon to 2 tomorrow. I will have Inside Sports from 6 to 9. The studio producer this evening, Kellen Kennedy, the executive producer of Oilers Hockey on 630 Chet is Sid Smith. My name is Reed Wilkins. It's 1127. Thank you for listening. Have a great night.